Welcome to the podcast, Interior Integration for Catholics. Interior Integration for Catholics brings to you in each episode the best psychological information essential for your human formation. Knowledge that is fundamental for shoring up the natural foundation for your Catholic spiritual life. This podcast helps you focus inward on your interior integration to help you bring together the different parts of yourself into unity and harmony with God in the natural realm. In this podcast, we confront the tough internal questions we Catholics have in our day-to-day lives. We confront head-on our struggles in the natural realm, the psychological difficulties that keep us from fully loving our Lord and Our Lady in a deep, personal, intimate way living out our vocations. And if you are married in the church, this means your vocation to Catholic marriage. And we're dealing with sexuality and religion in these episodes for two primary reasons. First, to free you to love God our Father, Jesus our brother, the Holy Spirit, and our Mother Mary more and more over time. And second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're married, your first neighbor, your closest neighbor, the neighbor toward whom you have the most responsibilities is your spouse because of your marriage vows. I'm clinical psychologist Peter Melanoski. I am here with you to be your host and guide. This podcast is part of Souls and Hearts, our online outreach at soulsandhearts.com, which is all about shoring up the natural foundation for the Catholic spiritual life. It's all about overcoming the psychological obstacles to being loved and to loving God and neighbor. This is episode 61. It's released on March 29th, 2021, and it's titled Fractured, Fragmented Sex in Catholic Marriages. This is the 13th episode in our series on sexuality, the fifth in our sub-series on sexuality in Catholic marriages, and we are continuing with the model of the Catholic marriage bed to illustrate what happens sexually in Catholic marriages. Now, in episode 58, I provided you with the model of a Catholic canopied marriage bed. And one of the legs of the bed is to use the parts language and the way that internal family systems explains multiplicity in each spouse as a way to understand both yourself and your husband or your wife. In the last episode, episode 60, I argued that Catholic husbands don't understand themselves very well, and so they don't understand their wives very well. And that Catholic wives don't understand themselves very well either, and so they don't understand their husbands. We are here to remedy that. Because in the call to love your spouse, you have to know your spouse. And to know your spouse, you have to know yourself. And I think that this internal family systems approach to recognizing these parts in us, these modes of operating, is very, very helpful in helping us go deeper and understanding who we really are. We can understand ourselves not just as single, unitary, monolithic personalities, but rather as both a unity that brings with it a multiplicity of parts. That helps you to understand yourself, and that helps you to also understand your spouse. Now, in episode 60, I gave you a conceptual overview of an internal family systems approach to understanding how Catholic husbands and wives interact. Remember, that was the husband's six o'clock funk part and his wife's part that reacts to that funk. But we did not in that episode take the husband and wife interaction into the realm of sexuality. And that is where we are going today. So 
Kids, if you are not yet 18 years old, turn this off. Turn this off unless you have your parents' permission. I'm serious. I don't care if your parents told you that they could listen to this podcast. You don't listen to this episode unless you have their express permission. Parents, this episode is going to have some descriptions of different sexual activities. We're not going to get gratuitously graphic, but there will be enough detail to describe some of the things that happen in sexual contact between spouses. So this is not appropriate for children's ears. All right, today we're going to go much deeper into parts, husband's parts and wife's parts and how they interact sexually. So get ready, prepare yourself for the light bulbs to switch on, prepare for the light to shine as we explore new and much clearer ways of thinking about sexual life in Catholic marriages grounded in the perennial teachings of the Catholic Church and informed by the best of psychology. So much confusion about sexuality and sexual matters in Catholic marriages, so much misunderstanding, so much ignorance, so much pain, so much suffering goes in and around sexuality. Now, some of you are having disordered sex, and we'll talk about that. Some of you are having sex in ways that are degrading or exploitative to one or both of the spouses. Some of you are having sex that's just mediocre. It's not really disordered. It's not degrading. It's not exploitative. It's just, it's not sinful or anything like that. It's just kind of meh. And some of you are not having sex in your marriage. That's a sexless marriage. And some of you are having fractured, fragmented sex. We'll be talking more about what that means in our example today. And some of you are having deep, meaningful, intimate sex that is open to life and that strengthens the bond of married love. That's a real sacramental sex. Praise be to God. Thank you for that. More of you can get to that kind of sexual intimacy in your marriage. That's what I want for you. That's why I'm doing this podcast episode. Now, in the last episode, episode 60, I made some really bold claims. Among other things, I said that you don't really know your spouse. And I said that your spouse doesn't really know you. And I also added that you really don't know you. And I'll now add, because somehow I forgot this the last time around, but that your spouse doesn't really know himself or herself either. Somehow, somehow I missed that one last time, so I'm adding it in now. And now I backed up those claims in the last episode by having you do a thought exercise. You can go back and check that out if you want. In this episode, I'm going to add some new bold claims. First of all, I'm going to, I'm going to make the claim that there is so much more to your sexual attractions and desires than you imagine. And a lot of it goes way back in your history, way back to childhood. I'm also going to make the claim that there is so much more to your spouse's sexual attractions and desires than you imagine, and a lot of it goes way back in your spouse's sexual history, long before you met each other. Sexuality is very complex, and as I've said before, I've found that the sexual intimacy between Catholic married couples is the most sensitive barometer about the relational qualities of the marriage. All right, we need all the help we can get here. We can keep going the old way, you know, we can keep on keeping on. You and your spouse can keep the same old dynamics, play out the same old patterns, stay on the surface of your relationship. But wouldn't it be great if both you and your spouse were to decide in the very same moment that you both are going to go all in on working on your sexual intimacy issues 
in a way that is firmly grounded in the truths of the Catholic faith with the best of psychological guidance. I can just see it, the two of you at the breakfast table with the cornflakes and the coffee. Both of you put your phones down at the exact same moment and your eyes meet. And there's the beauty of the old flames of passion and connection, which originally brought you together and your hearts and souls swell with grace and with love for each other and a knowing exactly what needs to be done and how to do it. And the heavens open and the light pours down through a hole that miraculously opened in the roof and the choirs of angels are singing. All right. Got to tell you, it usually doesn't really work that way. Let's be honest, doesn't work that way. It's great when both spouses commit and work through the process together, but usually one person is more committed to it than the other. One spouse is more committed to it than the other. You can make a choice to work on the underlying issues that impact your sexuality for you, not dependent on what your spouse does or doesn't do or anyone else. There is so much you can do to understand what's going on inside of you. So that said, let's do a brief review of how internal family systems sees the human person. Now, at the core of the human person, there is the self. This is the center of the person. This is who we sense ourselves to be in our best moments when our self is free, unblended with any of our parts, The self governs our whole being as an active, compassionate leader. We want to be recollected. We want the self self governing all of our parts like the conductor of an orchestra leading and directing all the musicians so that they can make that beautiful music. Or alternatively, the self is like the captain of the ship leading and governing all the sailors so that they work together to a common purpose, the good of the whole ship. So we've got the self, but um, but we also have the parts, and these are separate, independently operating personalities within us, each with its own unique, prominent needs, roles in our lives, its own emotions, its own body sensations, its own guiding beliefs and assumptions, its own typical thoughts, intentions, desires, attitudes, impulses, its own interpersonal style, and its own worldview. Each part also has an image of God and its own approach to sexuality. Parts have different attachment styles. They have different ways of connecting with other people. Parts within us can have different love languages. You remember Gary Chapman's five love languages, you know, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, gifts, physical touch. Different parts of us can be much more invested in one of these versus others. Parts also have different histories of sexual experiences. They have different reactions to sex and relationship issues. And so many of our parts are hidden. So many of our parts consider themselves or are considered by other parts to be unacceptable, unlovable, unworthy, dangerous, harmful, inappropriate, or just not allowed for whatever reason to be given a place at the table. And... We don't know ourselves when we don't know our parts. And I don't know my spouse if I don't know her parts. Now, also one thing I brought up last time, and we'll see this in the example, is that parts can shift abruptly. They can shift abruptly during sexual intimacy between the spouses. And you'll see that in the story I'm going to tell you in just a little bit. But let's just review 
the three roles that parts play. I'm going into this in a little more detail. Exiles, these are the parts that have been exploited, rejected, and abandoned in external relationships. These parts have suffered relational traumas or attachment injuries. Exiled parts hold the painful experiences that have been isolated from conscious awareness to protect us from being overwhelmed with that intensity. Exiles desperately want to be seen and known. Exiles want to be safe and secure. Exiles want to be comforted and soothed. Exiles want to be cared for. They want to be loved. They want rescue, redemption. Exiles want healing. And in the intensity of the exile's needs and emotions, they threaten to take over and destabilize the person's whole being, the person's whole system in that effort to be seen and known and to get their needs met. When they do this, they threaten our external relationships. Now, our exiled parts, they carry burdens. They carry burns, burdens of shame and dependency and worthlessness and fear, even terror, grief and loss, loneliness, neediness, pain, a lack of meaning or purpose in life, a sense of being unloved, a sense of being unlovable, inadequate, abandoned, all that horrible relational stuff, all those attachment injuries, all that complex trauma is carried by the parts of us that are exiled. We call those exiles. Exiles is the first type of part. That's the, a role that they play, the role of being exiled and carrying these burdens. Manager parts, all right? We're talking about manager parts. Now, this is different. Manager parts are proactive protector parts. They work strategically with forethought and planning to keep in control of situations. They want to be in charge. They want to manage relationships to minimize the likelihood of you getting hurt. They work really hard to keep you safe. And they can be controlling, striving. They do a lot of planning and caretaking and judging. And they can also be really pessimistic, self-critical, and very demanding. Firefighters. All right, so we got the exiles. We got the managers. Now we got to talk about the firefighters. So when the exiles break through and they threaten to take over the system, when, they, when the managers are no longer able to keep the keep an exile down, like an inside out. Remember when the parts took over the control panel? When these exiles are about to break out, the firefighters leap into action. It's an emergency situation. It's a crisis. It's like a fire raging in the house. There's no concern for niceties, for propriety, for etiquette, for little details like that. No, firefighters take bold and drastic actions to stifle, numb, or distract from the intensity of the exile's experience, from that intense neediness, from the grief that's overwhelming. Emergency action! Battle stations, evasive maneuvers, arm the torpedoes, force, arm the torpedoes, full speed ahead. This is what our firefighters are saying. There's no concern for the consequences. There's no thought about tomorrow. Don't you get it? We're in a crisis right now. And when firefighters are active, there are all kinds of actions that they engage in to distract, to numb, to suppress the exiles. There's alcohol use, binge eating, shopping, sleeping, dieting, excessive working or exercise, video games, suicidal action, self-harm, violence, dissociation, distractions, obsessions, compulsions, escapes into fantasy, and raging. There's just a few of the examples of firefighter activities. Remember, parts can take over a person when they blend. It's like they take over the control panel, like in that Pixar movie, Inside Out. We call that blending. So to illustrate all of this, to bring this conceptual material to life, I'm gonna tell you the story of Jeff and Susan. These are a made up Catholic couple 
who bring up some common issues in sexual intimacy in Catholic marriages. And the goal of this story is to show you a new way to think about sexual intimacy and how difficulties arise in sexual relating between spouses. So, with no further ado, I welcome you to Storytime with Dr. Peter. Jeff. Here's his biological sketch. He's newly married. Not a lot of sexual experience with his wife Susan yet. Jeff's birth mom and dad were Catholic college students. Both were pro-life. Both were 20 years old when Jeff was born. This was an unintended pregnancy. They tried to make it work with the co-parenting, but both his father and his mother lacked maturity. Both really struggled with security issues. They had a deep sense of inadequacy and anxiety. And in addition, his birth mom suffered from postpartum depression. She withdrew into herself lots of issues around self-worth. She was living by herself in a campus apartment with, the, with baby Jeff and was overwhelmed with the demands of motherhood and college life. She described herself to her friends as a, quote, mess end quote, in those years. Birth mom also had a lot of self-esteem issues. She accused herself for failing to be able to nurse Jeff, and she felt like she was also failing at being a mother. The birth mom hid a lot from her family and from her boyfriend, Jeff's father. Jeff's birth father also suffered from anxiety. He coped by avoiding and just kind of naively hoping that everything would work out. And long story short, It eventually came out that Jeff was just not getting the consistent care he needed. The relatives were noticing, and now at two years old, he was more than a handful as a toddler. There was some acting out because of the inconsistent care he was getting from birth mom. Birth mom and birth dad were not getting along in spite of their good intentions. Neither was in a place really to raise Jeff, and given their psychological fragility, fragility, birth mom decided that she would seek a good adoptive family for Jeff. So Jeff was adopted by a couple in their mid-30s with a long history of fertility issues. They were so excited to bring a son into their lives. They had no other children and would have no other children in the future. Jeff was an only child. Mom had lots of academic and sports achievements to her credit in high school. She was very accomplished in college. College academics came really easy to her. She was a highly successful commercial real estate agent. She had the right combination of competence and attractiveness and charm to rank highly among her peers. And even though she was 35, which is relatively young for this kind of thing, she had brokered some of the biggest real estate deals in her city. She was very frustrated with fertility issues that got in the way of her life plan, and she had highly idealized notions of motherhood. She led her real estate sales team in a really authoritarian way, and it was said amongst her subordinates that it was her way or the highway. She expected a lot from her people, and they either rose to the challenge or they were dismissed. Jeff's mom was not very focused on physical touch or quality time. She was one to give gifts and words of affirmation to show love. Jeff's dad traveled a lot in sales. He was on the road much of the time. Dad was an only child himself. The adoption arrangements were brokered by a prominent attorney that dad knew. Dad was really well connected, very extroverted, very gregarious. And so as Jeff was growing up in his family, money was never an issue. Two career family, two very competent parents, lots of gifts, lots of possessions. 
And Jeff, though, had a fiery streak in him. He was really willing to challenge his parents from the very beginning. Lots of power struggles with mom. Mom was not used to not getting her way. And so there were clashes over potty training, over what clothes Jeff would wear, a lot of battles around eating. And mom found that she was really imposing her will on Jeff. Jeff was small. He had to give in in order to stay in relationship with mom. But that really affected him deeply. Jeff brought out all kinds of hidden, latent insecurities in mom. Mom thought of Jeff as a, quote, difficult child, end quote. But her expectations for Jeff bordered on the unreasonable. Mom was not one to take parenting advice from anyone else. Mom wanted Jeff to look right, act right, be responsible, and bring credit to the family. A lot of pressure on him to go through confirmation, because it's what you do in a Catholic family when you're 15 years old. And mom used different things to leverage her influence, including money for college and so on and so forth. So let's fast forward to this point in time. Jeff's newly married. He's in his mid-20s. He's never really worked through his issues. Let's review just three of Jeff's parts. Most people have somewhere between 10 and 20 parts, maybe up to 30 parts. We're just going to review three of Jeff's parts because they're going to be really significant in understanding the way that he relates sexually to his wife, Joanne. So deeply buried in Jeff is a needy exile, a needy exile. And this exile's role is to carry the neediness that stemmed from the original abandonment by his birth parents and his isolation, his lack of human touch, his need for a mother's love. He never really got that care as an infant. And this part was left behind holding the intensity of all that loss and that grief and that need as the rest of Jeff grew up and moved on. This part was caught back there in time with this need. The need to be seen, to be heard, to be known, to be understood as a separate person, not just to be an accessory or a prop in his mother's busy, successful life. So the emotions that this needy exile had painful loneliness, relational starvation, this hunger for a mother's touch, right? Especially the physical touch. The body sensations of this exile, a great gap in his heart and a sinking feeling in his gut. The guiding beliefs or assumptions of this part, I need to be loved or I will die. The desires were to be held, to be safe and warm, to be loved by mom. The attitudes of this part where I need to break free so that I can be heard and I can be seen. The impulses this part had was to feed on love, to feed on physical affection. And his interpersonal style was actually really dependent. And so sexually, this part was very much about the physical aspects of the sexual encounter. That's Jeff's exile, right? Carrying the neediness, carrying the wounds of some of these early attachment injuries, these, this abandonment trauma resulting from not only the transfer from his birth parents to his adoptive parents, but also mom just not really engaging with him in the way that he needed growing up. So we got that needy exile. Second part that we're going to discuss for Jeff is his competent manager, his competent manager, who it's, whose role was to control and manage everyday life, especially to navigate interpersonal relationships. And this competent manager needs control. 
and it feels really satisfied when everything is running smoothly. But when others are not cooperating, there can be some irritation or frustration. Body sensations for this competent manager are tensions in the shoulder. There's kind of a yoke pattern of tension in the, in the neck and shoulders where a yoke would be. It's kind of a heavy load that this competent manager takes on. Its guiding beliefs and assumptions are if I have enough control, I can make sure nothing bad will happen. The thoughts... It's always thinking, is everything going well? What needs to be optimized? What needs to be tuned in this situation? Its intentions is to keep Jeff safe and to keep his loved ones safe. This part's, this competent manager's attitude and worldview is that it's the one that needs to be in charge because others don't manage as well as it does. The impulses of this competent manager is to increase attempts at control when anxiety or insecurity start to come up. This competent manager's interpersonal style is to be polite and firm, engaging, but also subtly controlling. And as far as its sexual aspects, sex is a little frightening to this competent manager because of how much raw emotions are felt and the intensity of the body sensations. This part doesn't really trust the whole sexual encounter very well because there are lots of unfamiliar emotions and desires that can come welling up in the marital bed. And so that all, that can lead to, to be a little uncertain about this whole sexual business. All right. So we have Jeff's needy exile and we have his competent manager and now we have his dominating firefighter. The dominating firefighter, that part's role is to suppress the needy exile whenever the needy exile seems close to surfacing or to distract from the needy exile if the needy exile has already come up. This part experiences kind of an internal thrill if it does achieve domination. There's kind of this adrenaline rush that goes through the body. And its guiding beliefs and assumptions are, see how powerful I am, see how I can get others to do what I want. I'm clearly not needy. If I can do that, obviously I'm not needy. Its intentions are desire, and desires are to protect against neediness, smallness, and shame. And its impulses are to drive for interpersonal power via the subjugation of others. Its interpersonal style is to be kind of this manipulative alpha male. And when it's activated, it has this need to dominate in the marital bed. All right, so we got these three parts, right? We've got the needy exile, we've got the competent manager, and we have the dominating firefighter. Those three parts of Jeff. We're going to see how those play out in the sexual relating with Joanne, his wife, but let's first look at Joanne's history, and then we'll look at her parts. Joanne was raised by a single mother, a mother who never married. Mom was, quote, done with men, end quote, and never dated again after Joanne was born. Mom was a technical writer who worked from home. She was not close with Joanne's father, who was an artist. Joanne only met her father a few times when he was passing through, when he had an exhibit of his sculptures in town or something like that. Mom never wanted Joanne to be close to her father. Mom never spoke of the story of her relationship with Joanne's father, but Joanne sensed that her mother was very hurt by her father and bore a lifelong grudge. So there was no particularly strong father figure in Joanne's life. Joanne was unimpressed with the high school boys she knew as they were too immature. Mom raised her in the Catholic church, 
But Joanne was never close with any of the parish priests because none of those parish priests seemed to her to be very masculine or father-like in any significant way. So Joanne, it was just her and her mom. Mom's family was spread over the country. None of them was very close. Joanne connected primarily with her peers ever since grade school. That was where she got most of her relational needs met, especially with other girls. So Joanne did not have any boyfriends until she was in college. Joanne was more quiet. She had a strong need to be accepted. She worked hard to be well-liked. And she was well-liked in part because she did not draw a lot of attention to herself and she listened to others closely. All right, so let's talk about three parts of Joanne. All right, first, we're going to talk about her exiled part. This was a father need part. This was a part that really needed father's love. The role of this exiled part of this father need part was to carry the pain of being abandoned by her father and by her father's seemingly cavalier attitude toward her. Its needs were to be seen and known by her father and to be delighted in and cherished by her father. So the emotions of this father need part, this exile, were yearning, longing, hoping, but also a great cold alienation, a lot of loneliness, rejection, and pain. That's what this exile carried for Joanne, this father need exile body sensations for Joanne. Now, if she had paid attention, she would notice this cold emptiness in her chest when this part was activated. The guiding beliefs and assumptions of this part were very primitive. They could be summed up in this little phrase, I need daddy. The thoughts, if again, Joanne would pay attention to them, because this part is unconscious almost all the time, would be something like, but daddy doesn't love me. So this part's intentions are to find a father. I want daddy to come home. I want daddy to come back. I want daddy to love me. And I will survive. This is the attitude, right? I will survive. I will find love. This part, when it gets activated, its interpersonal style was to be somewhat seductive towards strong father-like men. Its worldview was, I'm small, I'm coping as best as I can in a dangerous world of powerful others. I need a strong, powerful man to protect me. And in sexual aspects, this part is hoping to have emotional and relational needs for a father met through a sexual partner, her husband. All right, so that's Joanne's father need exile part. Let's talk about her manager part. Her manager part is a people pleaser part. This part smooths over relationships with others. It has a need to be accepted, to be liked. It needs to focus on other people, you know, provide a lot of warmth and affection towards others. You know, there's a lot of warmth in her heart when she's doing this. And she believes that she's got to sacrifice herself for others in order to get what she needs. If she's self-giving, again, that's consistent with her Catholic faith. If she takes care of others, they will take care of her and her needs will be met. That's, that's the idea that drives the people-pleasing manager part. Her thoughts, this part's thoughts are, it's really good to take care of others and meet their needs. This people-pleaser's intention is to make sure that nobody is upset with her. Its desires are to be valued to be important to others, to be accepted. Its attitudes are to make sure that important people are soothed and reassured and gratified. 
This people pleaser manager has impulses to meet the wishes of other people and its interpersonal style is to be very positive and affirming of others, to be great, very gratifying to others. So sexually, this part focuses on pleasing her husband, gratifying him. All right, so that is Joanne's people pleasing manager part. We also talked about her father need exile part. The third part we're going to talk about with Joanne is her angry firefighter part. Now, the role of this part, the need of this part, is to distract from her deep father needs of her father need exile part and to preserve her dignity and integrity. The emotions that this part feels prominently are anger and defiance. This part has had it. This part comes up when it's just too much and she needs to be protected. So, body sensation, her jaw gets set, her teeth clench, and her hands ball into fists. It's guiding beliefs and assumptions of this angry firefighter is that others always try to take advantage of me, and I always get exploited, and I'm going to push back. Its intentions and, and desires are to defend her dignity and to protect herself, and its attitude is that no one is going to take advantage of me. Its impulses are to fight, and its interpersonal style is to be confrontational and demanding. Its worldview is that it's being exploited and that it needs to rise up to protect Joanne because no one else will. And in its sexual aspects, it tends to withdraw so as to not be exploited. Okay, so there we have a summary of Joanne's three parts. We've got her father need exiled part. We've got her people pleasing manager part. And we've got her angry firefighter part. And those are going to interact in various ways with the three parts of Jeff. Remember his deeply buried needy exiled part, his competent manager part, and his dominating firefighter part, right? We've got the stage set now to understand how Jeff and Joanne are relating in this sexual encounter that I'm going to describe. Now, remember, when people usually are going about their day-to-day business, they're blended with a manager part. Now, there are a few people that pretty consistently can stay in self. I do believe that that is a, a minority of people, right? So we're going we're gonna to set the stage by looking at how Jeff and Joanne are blended with their manager parts at the beginning of this story. We've got Jeff's competent manager part, who is wanting things to run smoothly, wants to keep everybody safe. He's focused on Joanne as they kiss and touch. His self is really not governing the system. It's really being run by this manager part. And Joanne's people-pleasing manager part wants to please Jeff. It's focused on him. So as they kiss and hold each other, her self is also not governing her system. They're both blended with their manager parts. And this is where they, you know, this is where they have been in terms of starting their sexual intimacy and and foreplay. Their manager parts are driving the bus. Things actually seem to be going fairly well, kind of under control. Both their managers like that state of affairs. It's very nice and pleasant. The manager parts are feeling close to each other. But then Jeff's needy exile senses a possibility of getting deep mother needs met. Because here is the desired situation. Here's close, physical, intimate contact with a woman. Jeff's needy exile part comes up saying, this is what I need. This is what's going to save me. This is just like I want. This is mom. Right? Because this part's caught back in time. This part's still back in infancy. 
doesn't recognize what's actually going on in the situation. Jeff's needy XL part comes up, blends, and displaces his competent manager part. The competent manager part is out. The needy exile is in. And this is the first shift in the series for Jeff. Jeff's needy exile does not really focus on Joanne as a person now in the sexual encounter. Joanne becomes a mother substitute, a relational object by which this needy exile hopes to get its mother abandonment needs met. And this needy exile wants to possess the mother and is fascinated with and attracted to Joanne's breasts. This needy exile is now very regressed and begins to suck vigorously on her nipples. This part has just reduced Joanne to her breasts. Jeff's needy exile part doesn't see Joanne as a whole person at all. And remember, this needy exiled part of Jeff was starved for maternal affection. Jeff never nursed as a baby, was fed by a bottle, and now he's getting carried away by the illusion that his need can be met by this kind of sexualized pseudo-nursing. And this is thrilling to this part. It's like, man, this may really work. I might really get my needs met. But at this point, Joanne reacts. And her angry firefighter part senses that she is no longer being treated with dignity. And she does not like at all how regressed Jeff has become. Kind of like an infant or toddler at the breast, sucking at her breasts. And she pushes Jeff and she tells him to back off. That hurts me. I don't like that. That's too rough. She also finds it creepy and weird. This is Joanne's first shift. You can see that her people-pleasing manager part has been removed from power and her angry firefighter part has come up and blended. Okay, so what happens next, right? We have, we have Jeff's needy exile part and Joanne's angry firefighter part. This is not a stable situation. This is not a stable situation. So what happens next is another shift for Jeff. Jeff's dominant firefighter part then leaps in. And there's two reasons why it leaps in at this moment. First, it was very concerned and embarrassed about all that mommy neediness of the needy exile coming up. That just felt really dangerous, felt really vulnerable, right? That's not safe to be that needy right? To have that exile take over. No, 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 no. And secondly, the dominant firefighter wants to reestablish a sense of safety be via dominating Joanne in the present situation. So this is Jeff's second switch among parts from needy exile to dominating firefighter. At this moment, Joanne's angry demanding firefighter part reminds Jeff's firefighter of Jeff's self-absorbed and domineering mother. Jeff's firefighter is going to have none of that. It has vowed never to be weak in a relationship with a woman like that ever again. So now Jeff is totally blended with his dominating firefighter. He grabs Joanne by her upper arms. He looks, straight, he looks her straight in the eyes and growls that he loves her. Okay, so this aggression tinged with a kind of pseudo-affection disarms Joanne's angry firefighter and brings up her father-need exile, the one that yearns for and longs for and hopes for the love of a strong father figure. 
Joanne's angry firefighter is now banished and Joanne regresses and she now blends with her exile that so needs a strong father-like man, whom Jeff kind of seems to be now in a twisted authoritarian way. This is Joanne's second shift. She's shifting from angry firefighter to father need exile. Joanne, carried away by her blended father need exile, is now very subjugated to Jeff's dominating firefighter. And Jeff, all blended with his dominating firefighter, has Joanne, who is blended with her needy exile, perform oral sex on him as he stands by the bed and she kneels before him. Jeff's dominating firefighter exults in the symbolic triumph of being victorious over his domineering mother. That's what's going on. It's actually not about the present. It's about the past. It's about these maladaptive attempts to overcome something that happened decades ago. This is fragmented, fractured sex. So much of it is driven by unconscious motives. The husband and the wife are not seeing each other or themselves accurately or even as whole, complete human beings. Unmet needs for nurturance, affection, and love are being played out in very maladaptive ways. Remember, back in episode 57, I made the case that unmet needs for affection, nurturance, and love that go back to childhood and the maladaptive ways of trying to get those needs met is the one main psychological reason why Catholic marriages fail. The procreative aspect of the sexual encounter is dismissed and the sexual activity does not at all support the relational bond between the spouses. Parts of the husband and parts of the wife are using each other in maladaptive ways to get very primal father and mother needs met. Now, I'm going to invite you to notice that parts have good motives. The parts want to protect each of them from getting harmed. But the parts, separated from the, from the self, unrecollected, unintegrated, and acting on their own are causing harm because they're not using good means to those good ends. And this leads to that fragmented, fractured sex. The parts are not working collaboratively and cooperatively under the leadership of the self. There's not recollection. There's not an awareness of what's really going on. And the good intentions that parts have as they act independently do not justify their means. Now, I'm just going to invite you to notice how complex this situation was, right? And we're just talking about three parts for Jeff and three for Joanne. You know, real sexual life is often much more complicated, but you know what? If you seek, you'll find. If you try to understand what's going on with you sexually and you, you, you look, right, you will find, All right, so we're going to continue to work through sexual intimacy topics in this podcast. We're going to continue in this vein, helping to get clarity about what goes on inside. This, again, is just an example of the way that these kind of things can play out to help your faculty of imagination be strengthened and be supported as we look at you know what might really be going on in the bedroom, right? In terms of below the surface, what doesn't immediately come to mind. I'm just going to invite you. Do you have any parts that bear any resemblance to the six parts I described in our story of Jeff and Joanne today? What are your typical identifiable modes of operating or your parts? Write them down. We're going to continue to work with this image of a marriage bet. We've been focusing on this leg 
of using IFS approaches to understand what might be going on in sexual intimacy, keep working on that. Write things down as you come to awareness of them, right? The next episode, when we get to episode 62 coming out next week, it's all going to be about attachment needs and integrity needs. That's another leg of the bed, of the four legs of the bed. Each part has attachment needs and each part has integrity needs, and they can vary from part to part. It's hard to work on parts without help. That's what the Resilient Catholics community is all about. If this discussion of parts resonates with you, imagine what it would be like to be with other people that are working on similar issues, right? Other Catholics on a journey together with the same goals of being able to understand myself and others better. Get on the waiting list for the Resilient Catholics community. Go to soulsandhearts.com backslash RCC to sign up. You'll get on the on the, on the mailing list, I'll send you a link on Friday, Tuesday, April 6th, 2021, from 7.30 p.m. to 8.45 p.m. We're going to have an orientation meeting. You can ask me anything, and I'll field your questions or comments about sexuality, Catholicism, and parts. We'll discuss the Resilient Catholics community, the focus on human formation, the monthly themes that we're going to be going through in the next year. We're going to be going over all of these things. Now, feel free to reach out to me too if you want. If you've got questions, right? Email me, crisisatsoulsandhearts.com. Call me on my cell phone, 317-567-9594 or send me a text. You know, for current Resilient Catholics community, we have a premium episode coming out on Tuesday, March 30th. That's on gentleness and mercy to all your parts. We're gonna be doing an exercise on gentleness and mercy to all your parts for the Catholic therapists who listen, there's a community just for you. We reopen the interior therapist community. Go to soulsandhearts.com backslash ITC for interior therapist community. Lots of unique opportunities to work on your human formation as a therapist, your human formation as a person. As therapists, we often have parts that we need to attend to in a special way. I think there's one slot left in our uh, foundations experiential groups in the ITC. That's going to be starting up in just a couple of weeks, a few weeks now. In April, April 6th, that new class is going to get started uh, with Dr. Peter Martin, clinical psychologist, good friend. Glad he's on board. I'm going to invite you to also, if you're if you're in that community episode. 61T of Interior Integration for Catholic Therapists, The Limits of My Acceptance for My Clients' Parts. We're going to look at what in your clients might not you accept and why. What is it about that that's triggering in your own system? What is it activating in your own system? So let me know how you think I'm doing. Many of you have already gotten in touch. It's been great to hear from you. Some of you have listened to all 60 episodes. That's fantastic. Some of you have gotten your spouses to listen with you. Hooray. So proud of you. Excellent. Let me know how you think things are going. Get in touch with me. 317-567-9594. Crisis at soulsandhearts.com. It is good to be with you. You are in my prayers. Please keep me in your prayers as well. And with that, we'll invoke our patroness and our patron, Our Lady, Our Mother, Untire of Knots. Pray for us. St. John the Baptist, pray for us. <laughs> <laughs>